Thank you, Anne. Love your book. You did a great job. Everybody does such a great job. Um, I just want to say this, uh, uh, beloved. I'm going to call you beloved because that's who you are in Christ. Get, take, your, take your vitamins. Take your rest. Get some vitamin D. Get some vitamin C. Drink. Drink a lot of fluids. No, no, no alcohol. Um, but uh, water. Yeah, that's great. No, no, no. Um, but uh, get some soup inside of you. Make a soup, even if you're not that great a cook. Do it, cause something's going around, and it's really attacking lungs, and it's got some serious sticking power. But I want to say this: as Christians, can't be afraid of this stuff. But that doesn't mean you got to be foolish either. Be wise. Take care of your health. Put your health in the forefront. Pray. Don't think that you're going to cure yourself with a pill. S get close to God. Stay close to God. Remember that he, his nearness, his salvation, it has the ability to elevate my thinking, to take me out of um, valleys. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Because when your physical body is going down, I don't know about you, my mind travels right with it. And once my mind is in that place, it's bad. But I just want to remind you to do that, please, because there is something going around, and it, it stuck with me for, I would say, I would have to say 10 days. I'm still feeling the butt end of it. I'm hoping it's gone away, but, uh, you know, just saying. Okay, uh, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 2. Uh, and I do want to say this uh, as well, as Anthony had such a great a great intro for us. I want to say this. I see such great potential in this congregation. And I'm going to tell you why. Because we're not so far removed from the darkness. Every one of us grew in areas, grew up in areas, grew up in neighborhoods where many of our friends were in that darkness. Some of us kind of operated in that darkness or really close to it for a long period of time. And you know what? One thing that happens when that light, when Jesus intersects and intervenes in your life and turns things on, we have an obligation to bring that light to people around us, man. And you know what? We do it. The ones who've tasted the pig slop, not everybody's tasted it, but I have. You know what? You don't, you, you, there's no room for pride. There just isn't. Somehow you can give the gospel, even the most difficult aspects of the gospel, in such a way that it's not coming across like me judging anybody. It's literally life-saving. It is the life-saving truth. So I want to just say that. Remember that as we go to our parties, as we go to our families. Listen, man, we are not the moral police of the world. We're not. We're not. But you know what we are? We carry Christ with us wherever we go. And you know what? We can love people in spite of where they're at. You know why I know that? Because he's loved me in spite of where I was at. And he continues to do it to this very day. So I just want us to remember that as we get ready to celebrate Christmas. So let's pray. Father God, there's a lot to pray for. There's a lot to be grateful for. Just like Anthony said, there's so much. Lord, we want to see you. We want to see you in all of your glory. You know why? Because I'm convinced that as we see you in all of your glory, the desire to be near you becomes greater than the desire to please those temporal hungers of our flesh. All those things that the, the world offers us somehow lose their sparkle when they're in the presence of the true sun, the true sun. Lord, you are the star above all other stars. You are the most beautiful. It says in the scriptures that the angels long to lay at your feet. Man, you must be incredibly beyond beautiful. And Lord God, we want to see your beauty. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Okay. Two, chapter 2 of the book of Luke. And we're going to read from verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went down to their own town to register. Now, I want to say something. This is another reason for me to give praise. It's another reason for me to rest, because God is so sovereign. He uses possibly 
one of the most influential and important people who ever graced the pages of history books. Caesar Augustus literally was used by God to shape the world in many ways that you and I live in. And who uses him like a pawn? God. Why? Because we weren't made for Caesar Augustus. We weren't made for governments. We weren't made for anything else. We were made for our creator. And I want you to remember that. And you know, one of the things that we're going to see in this scripture is that God demands it. He demands that. He's like, I won't allow you to live for other things. I won't allow you to give your heart for other things because it belongs to me. I made it. It's mine. And I will wrestle you for it. At least he wrestles me for it. Okay, so he says this. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth to in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married with him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and he gave birth and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger. God, that's an amazing thing. This manger, it literally is a food bowl for animals. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Because there was no guest room available for them. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. I want you to understand another thing. Historically speaking, on the lowest rung of the employment table or ladder was the shepherd. So low was the shepherd, it was probably considered bad politics to sit at a table and eat with a, uh, a shepherd. They couldn't give testimony in an open court. No, no, we don't want the shepherds. Shepherds are kind of dirty. They smelled like sheep. They were sp and they were just kind of an unsavory bunch. So it's kind of a weird thing. So who does Christ come to? Who did the angels and the message of the gospel come to? Oh, it comes to them, keeping watch over their flocks on night. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. One, that's another thing that we have to understand. This is a terror that only the saved can feel comforted in. You know how I know that? Because remember the apostles? They were sent across from this huge victory. God does this amazing thing where he feeds all these people, and he sends them in a boat across the Sea of Galilee to a place called Gennesaret. And as they're in the middle of the sea, what happens? Huge storm comes in, starts swamping the boat. They're freaking out. And who do they see? They see, no, no, I'm sorry. This was when Jesus, Jesus is in the back of the boat. What's he doing? He's got his head on his pillow and he's like, calm, calm down, right? And they're like, oh my gosh, we're going to die. We're going to die in the boat. It's going to swamp. They wake up. Jesus, aren't you afraid? He's like, what are you waking me up for? Don't you know who created this sea? He says to him, you have little faith. You know what that means? That it's not an amount statement he's making. It's a time statement he's making. That makes a whole lot of sense for me. Because I believe here on Sunday, I believe when I'm reading the word of God, but when there's just enough pressure put on me outside of here and away from you, oh, it's a little bit harder for me to believe, Amen. So they were struggling in their faith. And what does he do? He stands up and he says, still, be calm. And the word in the Greek is the waves that were swamping, probably this high, literally stopped. And the glass, the sea became as glass. And you know what it said? The apostles saw and were terrified. What manner of man is in this boat that commands the winds and the for us who believe him, that's the same God who purchased my soul. I don't want to run from that God. I want to run to that God. Let's keep moving forward because this is such a great story. Uh, I've got eight, nine, I missed a hand right here. When the eight, um, shown around them, and the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born unto you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. 
you will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest, highest heavens, and peace, listen, peace on earth to all those whom his favor rests. That's called a qualified statement. See, we like to believe that God came to bring rest and peace to everyone, but that's not what's been said. He came to give it to whom? Those whose favor rests. That's me. That's you. That's all those he's calling out from darkness. That's all he's calling out from these storms around them. The temporal worlds that constantly kind of grab and manipulate us and push us around. He's like, no, 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 I have this for you. But those who don't want it, see, they don't get it. And then he says this, glory to God in the highest heavens and peace to his people on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them, and had gone back into heaven, the, er, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem to see what has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, found Mary and Joseph and the baby who were lying in the manger, who was lying in the manger. And while they seen him, they spread the word concerning all that had been told to them about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. We get to do that today. See, that's one of the reasons we can never live in the past. Our relationship with the Lord has to be vibrant and now so that I can live in praise of all I've seen and heard. You know, like the other day I was telling, uh, I don't want to take too long because once again, there's so many things. God is always reaching out. It was, I was sick on Friday, really just like whimpering, <laughs> sick. And man, I'm feeling low and I'm feeling down and I know I got things to do after two o'clock and they can't be canceled. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Because I'm a, my family come from the hills, I'm just saying. The Hillbilly Gospel song comes up on my YouTube feed. I am the man, Thomas. I am the man. Put your hands in these holes, Thomas. I am the man. You know what he was telling me? Everything you looked for was found in me. I came for you. Everything you think you give up, it's for me. Don't forget that, Thomas. And you know what it did? It literally was like gasoline and fuel to my body. But you can't do that if you're living in two years past. I've been following the Lord for 26 years. I can't live in my conversion experience. Never forget it. Always testify about it. But it is new, vibrant, alive every day. This is what he offers us. So I want you to remember this because Mary did this. She treasured all these things and stored them up in her heart. All right, this is the end of the scripture uh, about Jesus. And, whew, took a lot of breath. <laughs> all right, peace on earth. That's what we're talking about today. Because this whole series has been telling us what we think we understand about God, you could take it, crumble it up, and throw it into a garbage can. Because God is God. He reserves that right for himself, and you cannot figure him out. That's why the saved worship him. Because, like, I, 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 one of the biggest things that I have to deal with in worship is, remember that song, uh, The Reckless Love of God? You wouldn't believe how many Christians have been after all. If you're one of them, please don't forgive me. But they're like, I don't know about that song, Reckless. God's love is not reckless. I go, what do you call someone who leaves 99 sheep to chase after another one that keeps... I'd call it, from human standards, foolish. But yet I was that sheep. See, nobody understands that reckless could be described as daring. 
It's only foolish when it doesn't win. What God did was reckless. His love is reckless, but it's successful. So successful, so over the top successful that it changes the hearts and minds of those who are saved. Amen? God is different, and this is why we love him so. The number one thought, I looked it up, connected with Christmas is peace. There's over hundreds of versions of Christmas cards with the word peace on earth. This was translated for many years, peace on, peace on earth to all men. Well, it's not. This is the right translation of it. It's a genitive. It's a, um, it's a, there's a masculine and aggressive aspect to what's being said. That means the peace only comes for those who God gives peace to. See, it's not available to those who God doesn't give peace to. They're still in the tumult. They're still in the storm. They may willfully choose to be there, but they are not coupled in. That umbrella, like my pastor Asa used to say, man, we're under the umbrella of God's protection. That's why it's so important for us to be united with one another. It's so important for us to be connected to what God is doing in the body. I cannot just come and go because this is me on the outskirts of this umbrella. So let's go back to this. This whole mini-series, I believe, the reason I did it, was it was aimed at showing me and you an unhollywoodized version and revelation of God. Jesus Christ's birth, as I understand it, and all theologians understand it, is the main act of history. That means everything that came before it was pointing toward it. Everything that came after was pointing back to it. This is the most important thing that has ever happened or ever will happen, and it is the reason we have what we have. See, one of the things that I don't like about scientists is they're great at telling us how or why, but they can never, no, 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 they, they don't tell us why, they tell us how. But they can't tell us why. You know why? In a world of chaos, in a cosmos of chaos, they don't even know what why is. Well, why did the universe come into being? Where did those parts come from? How did they all collide together? And why were they there to begin with? Why do things look like they really were planned and designed by a great mind? Well, I can't tell you that. They just did. As a matter of fact, you know what they'll do in their trickery? They'll say, well, that's your mind convincing you of something that's not there. And I'll go, no, 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 you can't rob me because I grew up on 1700 North Keating. You can't trick me because I grew up in the hood. The proof's in the pudding. When there's a design, you can see it. When there's a plan, you can't miss it. And God shows us that he is large and in charge. Human, human, humanity, unsaved humanity, has a tendency to paint a caricaturized <coughs> picture of God. Why do we do that? Because we are most comfortable when we paint God the way we want to paint him. I will paint him uh, with the caricature of great mercy. And he is mercy personified. His praise is unbelievable. His love, his commitment. But I unaccentuate or desaturate his holiness. You know why? Because his holiness comes with demand. That's a fact. See, there's an aspect of his holiness that I need because apart from it, there's no salvation. No salvation. So I have to know the fullness of who God is. But my nature, your nature, our nature, human's nature is to create a caricature of God because it makes us feel comfortable. We accentuate all those character attributes God, attributes of God that make us feel comfortable. The problem with that is our version of God has no power to save. It has no power to save. See, I can't give you my version of Jesus or the popularized version of Jesus or even the angel tree version of Jesus. I must give you the Jesus who gives himself to me. You know why? Only he can save. And saving has to do with transformation. When you see the real Jesus, it becomes incredibly clear you can't stay the same. Did anyone after they received Jesus know all that it entailed? There's no way you knew. If you knew, you'd never say no. Yes. 
All I knew was that there was an incredible offer of forgiveness and reconciliation. It was literally like an appointment. I go, man, I made you and I want you. I know who you are and you are a wreck. You are twisted and you are broken. But I've called you. I've made you and you're mine. And you can choose to live in that misery or you could come to me right now. And with my whole heart, my mind, and my flesh, I was like, no. But yet I couldn't say no. I had to run to him. And I want you to understand that. That only the Jesus who offers himself to us is the one who can save us. So what does that mean? That means that I have to live my life surrendered to God on his terms. His whole birth is about him coming to earth on his terms, not our terms, not Mary's terms, not Joseph's terms, not their family's terms, not Rome's terms, not the Sanhedrin's terms. He came on his terms. So much so that those who saw it didn't want it. They're like, I don't care if this is the way you present yourself and you walk into the room, you're not my king. To which Jesus says, okay, so be it. See, he comes to those who he comes for. The God who saves, the one whom our heart longs for, oftentimes is not the God whom our heart desires. You know why? Because his salvation is, it includes, it, it, it brings in my death to me. And I don't know about you, it's not one swift thing, even though positionally, yes, we are put to death in an instant once we put our faith in him. But it's minute by minute, thought by thought, instance by instance, circumstance by circumstance. Sometimes it's in an argument. Sometimes it's work sometimes it's in traffic sometimes it's in mission sometimes it's in investment his way my way his way my way my way looks so appealing even though i have such a terrible win with loss record but god says this he says no that's not where you'll find what you're looking for that's not where you'll find what you're looking for so i want you to understand the god who saves the one whom our heart longs for is beyond figuring out he cannot be tracked he cannot be predicted he refuses to be seen as someone to control because can i tell you something there's part of our nature even as christians that want to control jesus that's why people come and they go I come to Jesus, I hear the good news, my heart is happy, I'm overjoyed, and then reality hits. You know what? I came to it because I wanted my marriage restored. Sometimes marriage does get restored. I came to it because I lost my job. Sometimes he doesn't give you back the job that you lost or a better job. I love when people go, oh, when God gets one job to go away, he's going to give you a better one. He's going to do something good for you, I guarantee you that, but it might not be more money. Might not be a better job. It's just one of those things. God says, no, no, no. I know you better than you know you. So I have to be who I am, not who you want me to be. I'm the king. I'm the one your heart was made for, and I'll make the decisions. See, when you believe that, Romans 8.28 has a different kind of viewpoint. Amen? where God uses all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That means, well, I just got a terrible diagnosis. Lord God, I've got cancer. How could that be good? Because I'm going to use it to show you I'm dependent on God than you are. At the end of this, you will be closer to me than you could have ever been apart from this cross. And in the end, you will realize all that you were too weak to hold on to and you lost never had worth to begin with. Man, I'm telling you, there's a million and one applications to that truth. Amen? All right, so today what we want to do is we want to allow God to take down the hallmark definition of peace. Let me read for you a couple lyrics from Silent Night. We all love Silent Night, especially when the kids are singing, Silent Night. Yeah, there it is. Silent night, holy night, 
all is calm, all is bright. Brown young virgin, mother. I used to say, I used to think it was brown young virgin. I thought maybe because she was Semitic, I don't know. Brown young virgin, mother and child. Holy infant, so tender and mild. Sleep in heavenly peace. Sleep in heavenly peace. You know, there's only one statement in that entire song that's true. It's Jesus sleeping in heavenly peace. You know why? Because even as an infant, he knew he was beyond human language. Satan was conspiring. You don't think Satan knew who was in that manger? You don't think he was trying to push those guys? Come on, Herod, this is the guy. He's going to take your spot. Hey, listen, Joseph, run now. Get out of here. You don't think he was working? You don't think he was trying to? You know what Jesus is saying? You can do nothing other than than giving me heaven. Take care of this. He was in heavenly peace. And when that Jesus is your king, you could kind of be in heavenly peace too. You could be in heavenly peace too. You know why? He is in charge. All right. It's very attractive, I think, for us to see of Jesus' birth at the time when all the waves stopped at midnight. No storms, no nothing. I think it's attractive for me to think that at that point, people are ready to kill one another, and they're like, all of a sudden, the star comes out, and they're like, why do I have this sword? I'm going to put it down. Uh, I, I, I think that it's, 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 it's attractive for us to think that at that moment, that a calm, a strange calm comes over every heart, like, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. Truth is, Romans 8 tells you that there was only one thing that understood it. It was creation. The ones who were not made in his image. Beautiful as magnificent as they are, they understood. When Jesus broke in, they were like, like I said, the timing has not yet set. Our bondage is now mature. Remember, here, let me give you this one real quick. Remember Jesus and Joseph's boat, no, uh, Jesus and Peter's boat. Peter's out fishing all night long. Jesus goes, hey, thanks for taking me out, Pete. He's like, no problem. You know, I, I want to do what I can do to help you. He goes, take it out a little bit. Let's drop those nets again. He goes, no, Jesus, I, I've been doing this all night. I've been doing this my whole life. And I know there's nothing left, man. They fished this lake out. It's now the sun's up. No fish is going to come. He goes, humor me. And what does he do? He goes out and he says, drop your nets. Only do it to the other side. He's like, this side, that side, it don't matter, man. It don't matter. Nothing's coming. Well, what happens? Those fish come. So many that they have to pull other boats or they're going to sink. Why did Peter cry? Because the words that are given didn't mean he had to shed like a, like a little beautiful little tear. He went, <laughs> he wept snots coming out of his nose and he got at Jesus' feet and he said depart from me for I am a filthy man you know why I think because he knew what the fish did and he knew the name that he was given from his mother his name was Simon which means I hear and obey and he knew as he saw those fish who heard Jesus say come jump in those nets and give your life to prove who I am. And he knew he would never be that. Even as an angel himself told him that. (laughs) See, the inanimate creatures, the ones who are not made in God's image, they know who he is. And they don't question. We, oh, we rationalize. fact is, Jesus' birth was anything but serene. Let's look at the facts. First thing we got to remember is that it comes at the tail end of a forced journey. Currently today, using the map today, it's a 70-mile ride from Nazareth 
to Bethlehem by car on a road. Back then, no roads. At three and a half miles an hour on foot today, it would take us 23 hours and 17 minutes to travel. I took into account that Mary was at the end of the third trimester. That means she has to pee every 13 seconds. My belief is, because this is up elevation, I'd say that this is a three or a four day trip. And it's very, very uncomfortable. Uncomfortable for Mary, and uncomfortable for Joseph, and uncomfortable for Jesus. <laughs> Crazy, right? Second thing we see is that the couple arrives in a town that by biblical accounts is full. Everyone has already showed up. There's no more places to rent. So what, what now? Well, he has to, Jesus has to, Mary and Joseph have to find a temporary shelter in some unknown family spare room. We have been led to believe that Jesus was born in a barn. Problem is, history tells us Israel didn't have barns. That was a European thing. In the Semitic culture, the barn was more like a stable that was attached to the back of the house. So this would have been like an attached garage. There would have been a room, and then there would have been the attached garage. Jesus chose to enter the world in all of that chaos in an attached garage. What does your garage smell like? Because I know what mine smells like. It's not great. It would have been a little bit musty. The air would have been filled with that strong smell of ammonia that only barn animals could produce. It would have been drafty, even a little bit cold. Truth is, because there were so many flammable things, there would be no place to build a fire. No comfort here. It would have been very noisy, not very sterile. This is where Jesus decides to enter the earth. If the house was owned by a family member of Joseph, which many people believe that it was, the husband, the wife, and possibly a couple of children would have been helping. So there would have been a whole lot of running around and noise. So it wouldn't have been a place of calm at all. But that, folks, is when the real turmoil begins. See, if you thought that was fun, this gets even more fun. Because the labor pains begin to increase. Any women have children here? Mackenzie, pay attention. This is your future. That's why God was wise to give this job to women, because men would never do it. We're too chicken. Too chicken. The labor pains would begin to increase. I remember my wife, would the first one, my wife would never scream. Not yet. <laughs> No way. She would never do it. Too conservative. So what did she do? She hid herself under the, the sheet, you know. But I felt so bad for her, right? right? Well, Jesus feels the labor pains. Mary feels the labor pains. They become more and more rapid. There's lots of poking and prodding that are happening by the midwives. There's painfully intense pressure that start to get more and more intense until the eternal command is issued and Jesus will no longer be resisted. Ready or not, world, ready or not, Mary, ready or not, Joseph, Jesus enters the physical world. Peace on earth? Where? I don't see it. Do you? Well, I think that one of the things that we need to do is if we're going to really study God, if we're going to really worship, I have to worship him and what he shows me, not what I want to believe about. So let's look at the first thing that Jesus doesn't come to bring. His peace is not a psychological one, it is not an emotional one, and it is not a physical one. Peace, this kind of peace, is not what Jesus comes to bring. Honestly, as I look at the gospel, his arrival causes upheaval, unsettlement, and disturbance. Everywhere he goes, he gives them the good news, and then he gives them the other half of the good news, and they're like, wait a minute, I'll take the front half, but not the back half. To which Jesus goes, that's like having a coin with just a face. You can't have this coin without this coin. 
See, you can't just have me as Savior if you don't have me as Lord. It's the truth. See, the Savior part brings you great joy, but it's the Lord part that causes a little bit of upheaval, right? But when you truly know him, when you truly see him for all of his beauty, and you never let your eyes get unfixed on the fact that he came for you, somehow surrendering to that Lord almost seems like a crime to not have. At least it does to me. One of the things I wrestle with all the time, I cannot wait for the day, Lord God, where I will love you more than I attempted to love anyone or anything else. Why? As a testimony, everything I've ever loved was always aimed at providing something for me that it never provided. And I've tasted just tiny, tiny appetizer glimpses of his love. And it has filled me to overflowing every time. And more than that, I felt his love when I'm completely lost in my own thoughts and not looking. See, that other day, I was beaten down, tired. I was, body was hurting, my lungs were hurting, my back was hurting. I wasn't looking for God. I was looking for escape. You know who showed up? My Savior. And you know what he did for me? He didn't say, oh, don't worry, it's going to get better. He said, everything you're going through is in my hand. It's all for a purpose. Everything you have to give up it's good because what you get is 100 times better. See, now we're getting close to that peace. We're getting close to that joy. Why? Why does his arrival cause upheaval and unsettlement and disturbance? Because the real king comes to his world, the would-be kings get nervous. And that's who you and I are in our nature. We are would-be kings. See, we'll even come here if we feel we get what we want at the end. You know who did that? Martha. Martha said, I'll serve you, I'll cook for you, I'll clean for you, but when I call you, I need for you to come when I call you. Where were you, Jesus? If you were here, my brother wouldn't be dead. And he goes, you know what, your son, your brother's going to live. And she goes, yeah, yeah, I know. At the resurrection. And you know what, I'll, I can't believe this. He is fully come alive and walking in my presence. I said, I can't believe this. You think that somehow by serving me here, you get a reward up in heaven? Don't you know where I am right now? Wherever I am, that's your country. That's your king. That's your country. Man, I could see his heart. It's really broke. You know, one of the things that you know about God's love and how you know he loves you the way he does? Because he allows himself to be heartbroken with you. You know how I know I love my children? Because I allow them to break me down over and over and over again. See, it's the foolish parent that says, you'll never break my heart. I got to question your love. See, God shows me this amazing gift by how much he's willing to be heartbroken by me. See, one of the things I have to, uh, ha we have to understand is that when I'm following the commands of my own desires and my number one pursuit is my own appetites, life is relatively pleasant and it's fairly easy. But when Jesus breaks into my world, his mere arrival threatens my core insistence that life is primarily about me. We had a, you're like, okay, well, what does that mean? I'll tell you, man. Here's a simple application. We had a thing last Sunday. Man, let me tell you something. I was so happy to be here. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Wouldn't know what to do if God didn't show up here. I love giving you guys the benefit of the more he is. You know, I'm going to tell you something. This world's full of stuff. 
it's going to look more appealing. We're going to have to choose, and I mean choose, a lot. Jesus says, I have this for you, but this, Lord, what about my life? He's like, your life, it died with me. Do you believe the life I've given you is better than the one you've discarded? Because you're going to have to make that decision a thousand times. just the truth don't blame the messenger the promise for us is this that god will perfect his joy in us how through our becoming less want the true joy of christmas say okay lord as much as i know i want you to put me to work takes a little guts to pray that prayer because he'll take you at your word see jesus is the king of a paradoxical kingdom joy is not found when i am large and in charge it's found when i decrease joy comes to me peace comes to me when i willingly allow myself to be less when i believe that what he has in his hands is better than what i could produce by myself joy and peace is found when I stop chasing me. And I still chase me. You still will chase you. That's part of the deal. It's found, this peace is found when I chase the righteousness of the kingdom. And what is that righteousness that he speaks about in Matthew 6, 33? In a sentence, it's living to honor him first. It's trusting him first. You know, that's got a million and one implications. Whether I'm going to live honestly, vulnerably, submittedly, am I going to really go for his counsel before I make my own decision? Because that's what we all do, don't we? We go to him after. We've already made the decision. Jesus is like, I already, I already did counsel with you. Number two, Jesus didn't come to usher in a geopolitical peace. I remember one time I was watching an interview with an Orthodox Jewish rabbi, and they said, tell us about the problem of Jesus. And his answer was this. The Messiah that we see in Scripture was intended to bring worldwide peace. Jesus never accomplished it. Do you know why people reject Jesus? Because the problems are still No offense, I'm not going to talk about end times now because it's too controversial and people get their mindset. But I love it when people go, oh, we know when Jesus is coming back because there's wars and rumors of wars. To which I say, tell me when that wasn't the case. Men love war. You know what that is? That's Romans chapter 1 verse 18. He's meeting out justice for those who reject and suppress the truth. They say they want to be their own God. God says, have at it. How do you like it now? See, God doesn't come with a hammer. He comes with a hand that goes like this. You want it? Are you sure? Because the weight's heavy. See, salvation is found in surrender and submission. It's not found in a partnership. Jesus Christ be perfected. Don't tell you to look for all your theological points with that one. It's, it's, a, it's a crazy thing. But I will say this. He can use anything to tell you the truth. And there's this part where Jesus is in the colonies, Solomon's colonies, and Simon Zealot is kind of rising up the crowd. And he's like, you've raised to the greatest power. There's 50,000 people here for you. Just, just stand up. Just give a little bit of hate at Rome. And Jesus at first is smiling, and then his face turns serious and sad. And he goes, neither you, Simon, nor the 50,000, nor the Romans, nor the Greeks, nor the peaceful Gentiles, nor Jewish elite, nor blue Jerusalem itself, understand what power is, understand what glory is. Jesus 
you've just sustained on the creator of the universe and people walk past him as though he were nothing. You know what Jesus says to the world? You think Rome is your problem? Rome's not your problem. You think the government's your problem? You think the Democrats are your problem? Don't worry about it. You know what your greatest problem is? When you're in denial. That's pathetic. Jesus came to bring a divorce. You know what that divorce is? Me from me. And can I tell you something? It's the best decision that I'll have to make a thousand times. You know why? I was unworthy to be married to her. But when he's my spouse, something happens. Amen? Let's look at all those good things that he comes to offer. Because remember this. Remember this. The peace that he comes to give me, and he comes to give you is a tangible thing. How do I get it? First, I must recognize and accept that I am naturally hostile to God. That means I cannot trust my desires. You know what that means in a practical way? I need you. I need this. Four guys at the Bible study? Well, I read the Bible myself. Great, keep reading it yourself and come to the group. You know why? Every time it's like God speaks to me like I, he was waiting for my arrival. I was dog dead, tired, beat up, couldn't breathe. I went there and I walked away and I'm like, man, you never, ever fail me. Never fail me. I need to understand that this salvation can only come to me when I recognize my need for the gift. Strangely enough, I feel God's closeness most when I feel least worthy in the same way. Does that make sense? See, it's not when I go, you know, Jesus, I'm doing pretty good. I remember one time I was an elder at the time, and, uh, you know, it was time for a communion, and they tell you to take time to think things through and confess your sins. And you know what I said? I go, you know, Lord, this past month was pretty big. I don't think I got much to confess. And you know what? That whole week, my flesh came out like nobody's business. I heard a testimony once one time from John DeLong coming up here and some guy who was struggling with an addiction. I'm sorry, I don't know what's going on with this thing. But there was a guy who was struggling up with it. He goes, I failed again. And John said to him this. He said, if you'd only do what I told you to do, you wouldn't fail again. That night, he was tempted to go back into the darkness that he said, his testimony was, if I would have obeyed, because my flesh was going, I would have never come back out of it. And God, as he falls asleep, wakes up in the morning and he says, Remember this. Remember this. You, apart from grace, can do nothing. He's present. You can do nothing apart from God. You know what that means? When I understand how much I need salvation, participation is not an option. The world's full of stuff that tells me to attend, but it's not all valuable. But I'll tell you what is valuable. You, fellowship, kind of walking together in the faith. I don't want to stay too long here, but I want you to understand that. When I understand this, when I understand that I'm naturally hostile, you know what this does for me? It allows me to receive the remedy for a lukewarm heart. You know, one of the things that makes me more sad than anything else is a congregation. First of all, that has never happened for you. But I'm going to tell you, sometimes at Norwich it does. Six years, they've been getting the hammer of the word week after week after week. God's been clearing up their lives. And you know, they can't get charged up for worship. And I'm like, man, but you can get charged up for a Bears game.
for worship practice. But, man, if they're going on trip, <laughs> they're at that TSA line right online. And I'm like, man, you're missing the boat, brother. You're missing it. See, when I realize who I am, when I realize what he came to do, lukewarm, lukewarm? Are you kidding me? I don't know what this is. I want you to understand this. The world and around us, the world that is around us, offers us things that will always seem attractive. Our idols, the idols of our heart, know a secret language. And only you and they know that language. There are certain things that captivated your heart that will always be a temptation for you. I can only overcome them when I have a greater desire. And you know what my greater desire is? Our greater desire is? It's the love of our Savior. I want to just finish with this. The peace that Christ came to give you is harmony. It's not placidity. It doesn't mean that things are going to stop being windy or wavy or dangerous or pressure filled. It doesn't mean that. What it means is you will be brought into harmony. Paul understood that. Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 3. He says this. I consider all the things that I valued as loss that I may gain Christ. It was Jesus to Paul was the gift of salvation. What's more, he says, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus as my Lord. He's the master of my life. For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider these things to be less than rubbish. Why? Because I no longer have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, the law of self-merit, but I have a righteousness that comes through faith in what Christ worked for and what he earned. When Paul wrestles with the frailty and the susceptibility of his flesh, you wrestle with your susceptibility of your flesh? Well, I do. Some of the super Christians don't have it. I guess. But you know what he said? I said he says this. The moment I decide to do good, sin seems to be right there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands. But it's pretty obvious. Not all of me joins in that delight. Part of me covertly wants to rebel. Just when I least expect it. It seems like it takes charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who could do anything for me? And then he comes to the answer, yes. The answer is yes, thank God. Jesus can and he does. He's the one who acted to set things right in this life of contradiction. Where I want to serve God with all my heart and my mind, what I... Jesus comes to set things right in this life of contradictions. That's your peace. If he makes you perfect, you cannot be made more perfect. When I refuse to operate in peace, it's because I won't allow him to give it to me. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. We've settled that. Operate in his peace. Operate in his joy. This is where we want to serve God with all my heart and my mind, but I'm, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to something totally different. With the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, that faithful dilemma is now resolved in me. Those who enter into God's blessedness are given peace through Jesus Christ. It's his coming for us, being here for us. I no longer have to live under the black cloud of condemnation. I want to rejoice, find peace, find contentment in what he's done for you this Christmas and not what you can produce in yourself or what this world can somehow offer you.
out for you. It says this, love of my life, look deep in my eyes, there you will find what you need. Give me your life, the lust and the lies, the past you're afraid I might see. You've been running away from me. You're my beloved lover, I'm yours. Death shall not part us, it's you I've died for. For better or worse, forever will be. My love, it unites us, and it binds you to me. It's a mystery. Love of my life, look deep in my eyes. There you will find what you need. I'm the giver of life, I clothe you in white. My immaculate bride you will be. Oh, come running 
home to me. You're my beloved, forever I'm yours. Death shall not part us, it's you I died for. For better or worse, forever will be. My love, it unites us, and it binds you to me. It's a mystery. Father God, those are the most solace-filled, comforting words that I've ever read. You came for us. You came not just to visit, but to stay. You make your home in my heart. You choose to live in my home. You choose to spread out your umbrella of protection and blessing to my family. You give me direction. You give me hope. You give me peace. You give me joy. Even when the whole world is in tumult, when all the systems are thrown in upheaval, Lord God, if we just keep our eyes focused on you, Nothing can change what you've accomplished. Paul said it so eloquently. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. Lord God, may we find our joy and contentment in that first. Because that will allow us to enjoy all the other things better. And we pray this with one voice in Jesus' name. Every saint said, amen. You guys have a great day.